Drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? In 2009, comedian Dara O'Brien was described as television broadcaster Sir Terry Wogan's heir apparent as Britain's favourite Irishman. Conversely, as a testament to his own modesty, he once described himself as looking like one of the Tony Soprano henchmen on a bad day. I don't know which one comes with more pressure. He is in Australia on tour at the moment and he's picking up where he left off before the pandemic with his show. So where were we? Dara, welcome to you, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be back in Australia. You know, Australian audiences would have been pretty familiar with Terry Wogan's commentary of the Eurovision. We used to take the BBC feed. Oh, did you? So okay. it's never quite been the same since, I have to say. Sadly, he passed away a couple of years ago. Do you feel like you've stepped up and fulfilled this prophecy or is that an unfair question to ask? Absolutely not. Uh, Graham Norton took the gig. Uh, <laughs> Graham Norton. <laughs> but also, it's, it was kind of weird because it was a quote that's sort of been floating around for a while. That wasn't what I was aiming for. I wasn't me who said that. Some newspaper wrote that. Uh, I was going for Dave Allen's gig, um, which was uh, the kind of slightly, mildly kind of cheeky, uh, iconoclastic comedian who's well known in loads of countries instead. So that was more the the vibe I wanted because Terry Wogan's a radio broadcaster and you yes. know I cannot, um, I cannot take the commitment to do that. You're not a punctual person, Dara? I, well, no, I'll be, I'll, I'd turn up, but you know, but then I'd want to be off somewhere doing a show. Mm. Uh, and that was always the, the huge difference. So I think people people kind of see every, people on telly and they clump them all in together. But the, our, my motivation was far more get people in the door to gigs. That's what I want to do. So all the telly I've done, I whisper this around the BBC, is really just a promotional device <laughs> for the actual, my no, actual day stop job. stop it. I'm just saying. I'm not saying, look, I'm not Next saying. Next you're going to say that you're in it. the studio now to sell a show that you're in. What? Why would I Come possibly on. talk about how there are tittle stickers available for Hamer Hall next Thursday and for Brisbane the following day? No, it's it's a thing I enjoy doing. I love to, and I, and it's interesting as a comic. It's quite a lone wolf kind of a you know that sounds very ennobling, but it's a kind of a it, it, you're just on your own a lot of the time. So doing television and broadcasting pitches you into a team, which is a thing we don't do very very often. That's quite a nice change of pace for us. But if you took any of us and put us into an actual office, like a, a genuine large organisation, oh. We'd be, we'd be dreadful. We no. are the people for whom... For, we are the reasons people come up with guidelines of behaviour. Yes, you are HR nightmare, I think they say. Oh, they call entirely. It. You again, they'd say. <laughs> and they would take out some ring binder folder and go, let's go through this one more time, shall we? <laughs> yeah, so. Tell me, you were at uni and you won two national debating championships. I feel like stand-up, and you are quite well known for your crowd work. Obviously, that's not a feature of debating, but it kind of is. You're sort of appealing to... The, the high yeah. and the low, the pathos and the logos. Do you actually remember what those debating championships, the, the topic was that you won Oh, on? I do. I do. I remember the, 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 the probably the more prestigious one was the one, because at, at one stage I was the Irish, Irish debating champion in English and in Irish, because they, they was, there was an Irish language championship and then there was the English language championship. The, uh, and the Irish language championship, I don't remember exactly what the motion was the final, but the English language championship, the Times final of 1994, was that this house would separate, oh, it was, it was the private affairs of, public, of, of politicians are, are no concern of us or something like that. It was, and you it, were it was, the affirmative or? I was saying that they were not, yes, uh-huh. I was. 
was. Everyone's yeah. got skeletons. Don't look in my closet. Essentially, the idea was, and the argument we ran, which I think is actually quite, quite, quite was that uh, we should not ask them of them so that they do not legislate for us. Mm. Uh, so in other words, if we can divest it and we can go, you can do whatever you want to do in your own private life. So therefore, so can we. And it, this is not your bailiwick, nor is our private life your bailiwick. And actually, I think that kind of, I keep thinking back there and going, yeah, that kind of holds up. Knowing that most of the things I said as a student were desperately callous. <laughs> Uh, and, really, and before really, Donald Trump as well. You know? Oh my God! But like, I mean, look. Sometimes it is. It's just too interesting to find out their, their private lives. But like, I think you got to put this in the context of an Ireland that had just had not yet even had the divorce referendum. So I think setting an argument in Ireland at that stage into keep your nose out of our business for once was, you know, probably more powerful than it would be in in a lot of other countries where you just presume that this is none of uh, none of the state's business. The state had a tendency to decide a lot of things where its business in Ireland. You once observed that the comedy world prefers you to be older and maybe slightly jaded before it accepts you, unlike Hollywood where they want someone new, bright yeah. and shiny and, you know, the idea, and we were speak, speaking about this before, this, you, it's your 10th time to Australia, you've got the scars to show it. It's this idea that you've got some mileage under your belt, which is obviously growing with age, but the point is you've got something to say. Yeah, I think that's, I think it's definitely a case of you get better at doing this as, as you get on. Um, there's, look, it's impossible for there not to be some novelty or sheen about new acts coming through or to a certain extent people going, oh, I've heard you. I, I know what you do. <laughs> so therefore I don't need to go and see you again. That look is, look, I'm in show business. I can't fight the fact that I'm in show business. But it is, it's always been a pleasure to work in the, in the one branch of show business in which I'm not required to, you know, whiten my teeth and, and wear a wig. And uh, and it's not about that at all. And actually, we have very few really good-looking comics. Well, it, it totally upsets the world when, when a good-looking comedian appears because we have no idea what to do with it. In defence of radio broadcasting, you know, I'm wearing thongs ah. right now and uh, <laughs> I haven't brushed my teeth in four weeks. So this you could have really hidden away behind the microphone like I do. May- Man, I just came from St Kilda. I was on the beach <laughs> twenty minutes ago. So the so I'm very much dressed for a sandy. barbecue at the moment. Like I should be holding it like a, a thing, flipping burgers at like one stage and, and and shouting at my kids. I'm dressed like that. Um, but it is a uh, but but I don't think comedy it, that that matters. And and if anything, really good looking young comics sort of distract in a no. You don't have the emotional difficulty needed to go through this. There's you no suffering. There's no bitterness. Just it, the desire for. I mean, look. Most of it, like, it's, it's a very American thing to talk about how much pain comedians. We're not that depressed. We're actually very, very happy people generally. But it's certainly a case of, you know, you don't get into it without something. And for me, it was like a very, I was a very awkward teenager and I was very kind of self conscious and shy. And moving away from that, I've gone obviously went totally the other direction. But it was, it was as a, the relief of that lifting, that adolescence, that like, oh my God, what am I saying? Oh, this person doesn't like me. Losing that was just such a huge. Relief. I think I ran. I ran entirely in the in the other direction. So we all have some kernel of pain, some desire to to get the love of strangers. That's you know that's what we do. Well, I don't mean to dwell on that kernel of pain as you call it, but I am curious about your meeting of your birth mother in 2020. You've said that the fact that you had such a happy upbringing with your parents meant that you didn't feel like you Seek were trying out. to yeah. sort of fill that void. May I ask how is your relationship with your birth mother a few years? It, on? It's very good. It's I mean like it's there's an interesting thing about it that and this is common that there's a huge flurry of uh, when, when the whole thing starts and then it has to find its own level after that. And a lot of the time people find that 
you know, actually my life is going to carry on as, as it was before, but I've done this and I've made contact. I mean, we're at a stage now where I've been, because I talk about some of this on stage and I, there's a very interesting story that has come out of it. Like in the show, does this big story um, and some of the twists and turns are, are astonishing in terms of how Ireland handled this. Right. It was ridiculous. The, so uh, did, do you think but, your birth mother had seen you on TV? Oh, no, I, uh, okay. Here's, the funny thing is, is the first time I went to see the, the whole family of them, the siblings and all of that, they were very cool about it all. They're like, oh, and you work in television. Oh, right, okay, good. And then I was, I met them a few months later at a show. Uh, as in, they came to the show and they just let slip, you know, really casually. Once, oh, yeah, I remember when you moved over to London. I mean, you're all talking, ah. I wonder how we'll do over there. And I go, whoa, 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 They've whoa, been whoa, watching. Whoa, whoa. But, they, but without kept, knowledge? Without knowledge? Yeah. And they kept very quiet about that, like whatever, which is fair enough. Like, because it was, you know, it's a strange situation anyway. Hello, I'm actually, I am your half brother and here I am. It's a weird dynamic anyway, without there being some element of like <laughs> stardust being sprinkled on the situation. I would say that one of the nicest moments was uh, my, like their daughter of one of my, of my, one of my half sisters, so I have no idea what her relationship is with me, turned to me at one stage and said, pointed to the chairs we're sitting and said, these are new. These were bought for the royal visit. <laughs> <laughs> Lots to catch up on, you know. Like, yes, <laughs> we didn't always have these uh, chairs. Of yeah, course. Oh, no, these these chairs were entirely purchased for you. It's all for different since, since yeah, you yeah, were yeah. here last. So uh, and so they were obviously quite proud of, of you. Then, if they're they're talking about it's you, it's interesting. And, and they've what they've reacted well to is the fact that I do tell the story of it, and essentially I have to tell her story a bit because that is that is kind of like I mean because I make the point in the show. It's not my story. I was only a baby. I think it's her, it was it, this was this this woman who gave a child up for adoption at the end how that all operated so I've had to be quite sensitive about that she herself didn't watch it for a long time but it was on the television then on the BBC recently this is the same show I'm touring now by the way the uh, but it was on the television on the BBC and she watched it and there was one line one glib joke that she kind of and I could see when she's saying there's one thing I don't know I know which one this is going to be but I had to go look that's very clearly a bit glib and a bit trite and I think people know it's not to be, to be taken seriously but the rest of it I thought she she seemed happy enough with it they, uh, which is you know look that, I, you know obviously as a storyteller should be independent and all that but I also don't want to you know exploit no. her situation of in, course in, that, not. in that kind of way yeah, yeah no I mean you, you know your, your job is to stretch the tr truth when it doesn't matter not when it does I suppose yeah I mean like and it's interesting when you're given a story because obviously most of the time we work in what we will show, euphemistically call emotional truth which is like this story sounds like it could happen so I'm just going to tell you the funny thing that I've imagined happened when this <laughs> imaginary story happened so a lot of, so when you do actually get a thing which is genuinely true interesting it gives it a kind of a different more dramatic heft um, within a show because people aren't expecting it to a certain extent and then you tell them the story which can be both sad and a bit angering and then funny and the uh, and so it's been an interesting storytelling experience I'm not saying that I'll, I'll I'd wish to mine more things in my life to to create other things I think this is just one story I was gifted and it's one interesting thing to tell now I may get to the end of this tour which will be in January having done it 175 times and go fine now let's just do jokes <laughs> that's <laughs> that's been an interesting thing to to paint in different colours um, but you know there is a part of you which you can Kind of fight, which is going, oh God, this they've gone quiet, and I you can't tell 
comedians are very bad for knowing is that a rapt quiet or is it a <laughs> dull, is it a bored quiet it's just not our thing we're very bad I can imagine you touring back to Australia a few years with a whole set of news stories about an illegitimate child that's come out of the woodwork for you uh, and oh, the ideal don't think I ha- second don't think I, ha- I haven't done the audit <laughs> don't think I haven't checked on one are of the possibilities sure? are you uh, sure are you sure oh look I mean and there is by the way there is a very there is a very good follow up story which I don't know will make it will make a show story but it's a totally different thing and it's about it's about that but it's about me being I mean yeah I, I, I can't say but suffice to say I, I once had to arrange a, uh, a paternity test in which I was the baby so so <laughs> very rarely does that happen so the uh, so there are there are other stories yet to come If you've just joined me on RN Drive Dara O'Brien is here we're talking about his tour and life and his return to our fair shores I want to ask you you were interviewed by the very long running and popular BBC radio show Desert Island discs earlier this year. This is like, um, this is when you know you've made it, I, I think they, they sort of say. You chose some interesting oh, songs. Hello. Come on. Cuba what? Libre by Gloria Estefan. <laughs> Groove is in the Heart by D. Light. Yep. Let's start with Groovies in the Heart. What does this song mean to you? It means I want to dance. That's what it means. Uh, and in fact, when they, they ask you then to narrow it down to one song at the very end, and I, I went for Groovies in the Heart by Delight because uh, I because it just brings joy, because it is just uh, get to the floor and enjoy it. And honestly, a lot of my comedy philosophy is like, oh, let's just bang. Let's go for, let's go for, let's go for joy. Let's go for what's funny and let's bang. Let's go for this. Yeah. As quickly and as... as <laughs> ruthlessly efficiently as possible let's get as many as many punchlines into a three minute uh, period <laughs> as I can and I do feel that a great dance track like that does exactly that so it is every time I hear the there's a little bit of a horn thing at the very start I go yes, I yes, yes. My, my spirit lifts so uh, <laughs> so it had to be that like the uh, oh there were there were other candidates as well the Cuba Libra one was because it was a story the um and do we have time for the story? Do you want me to tell you the story? Yeah, I do. The, yeah, right. So uh, the is that many years ago I was touring. Um, I was touring. I was I was traveling. God, people used to just travel for without work. Um, I was uh, on holidays in I believe it was Mexico, Costa Rica, with my then girlfriend who spoke Spanish, and we were queuing up to get some food. And uh, she said, "Oh, look, uh, it was in a kind of a chicken place or a Burger King or something like that," uh, and. I walked to the counter beside and she'd already ordered and the guy said uh, in, in Spanish what, what would you want and I panicked and I pointed to the picture of the thing I wanted and just read the words um, um, libre, gente bailar. I just read the words on the board <laughs> presuming it you know presuming it meant like you know something uh, uh, I, I know enough mangled Spanish to know that that's not a, a dish that's not, <laughs> that's not no 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 but I said I read the words on the board and the guy looked astonished and then I turned to my girlfriend was on the floor laughing and I said what what's so funny and she said what you just said to him was why not enjoy our new lunchtime meal deal special the, and the guy was just like I say that to you that's really weird why are you saying it to me right but I needed for that to tell that story right and there's various bits I needed a, a bit of placeholder Spanish to put in which you just heard me do right and the placeholder Spanish I took from a Gloria Estefan song in Spanish yes quiero mi cubra libre para que mi gente pueda bailar means I hope that my people the people of Cuba should be free so that they can dance and so I would do that line and so if you spoke Spanish the entire anecdote is incredibly confusing <laughs> because it suddenly goes into what? Uh, and so people around you getting the story, it's better to not know Spanish, but I just needed Spanish for it. Like the, 
plus it's a total banger. It's the lorem ipsum of Spanish. It's place, place, hold a text. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did pretty much the same thing ordering a train ticket in Italy somewhere and I asked the ticket master if I could go to the next town and I pronounced it the next town. It was something like... Colognes or so. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Anyway, my my wife and my now wife just pierced herself laughing because I think I just said I'd like a ticket to balls. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. And so did, I mean, that so is, did the ticket master fighting talk. Yeah. Certainly, <laughs> 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 senor. I will give you a ticket to balls. Uh, that is the uh, yeah. I mean, I once got tricked by an audience in Wales because there was a wildlife um, tour guide in uh, in the in the front row in Cardiff, right? In Cardiff, it's just an urban place. And I said, "What wildlife?" And they said, "You've no wildlife here." And I was mocking. He said, "He said, no, we have the pergil." And I and the audience, I went, ah, oh. and I went, what's what's the pergil? Oh, the pergil is very dangerous. Everywhere you hear it, pergil is dangerous. And I said, come on. And then we made, I made up what I thought the pergil was, and the audience were all laughing along. And I ridiculous. And then at the end, I did a recap where I said, oh, and the pergil, oh, the big pergil with the most dangerous animal, dragon and the audience were all or something, laughing and going out about this ridiculous pergil, right? And then. I drove out, uh, left the venue, thank you very much, good night, uh, got into my car, drove out into the streets of, of uh, Cardiff. And I don't know if you've ever been in Wales, all the street signs are bilingual because they're either in English and in Welsh. And the first sign you see was at a stop sign without a junction. And in massive letters, it said danger. And above it, pergil, <laughs> which is just a Welsh for danger. <laughs> and I only at that point there is that they had played that entire joke. The entire 1,400 people had joined in a joke on me, where <laughs> I, as an idiot, said, oh, the pergil, I said, with its fur and its claws, like it's the gruffalo. And they're all going, you idiot, you're going to pedestrian crossing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The minute you drive out of here, you're going to know that we had this joke on you. Well, I'm so glad that the audience is as generous to you as you are to it. Dara O'Brien, it's such a pleasure to have you back in Australia. Uh, Melbourne is the next show this Thursday, the 16th of November, and then you can catch Dara in Brisbane next Monday, the 20th. Great to, to have you on the program. A pleasure. A pleasure to be back. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. 